0: I'm going to start by giving you two riddles, two riddles, and uh, specifically, uh, these are for the youth. So I want you youth to be thinking about these riddles and see if you can solve them before the end of the service. But here's the rules. You cannot look it up. You can't Google it. You can't ask ChatGPT. You got to think through these riddles and so if you can figure it out, okay? Riddle number one, the more of me you take, the more you leave behind. What am I? The more of me you take, the more you leave behind, what am I? Riddle number two, you're looking at a boat full of people and yet there's not a single person on board. You're looking at a boat full of people and yet there's not a single person on board, okay? All right, now we're gonna to go to the word of God. Hebrews chapter six, verse 12, one verse of scripture, I'm looking at it in the New King, the New International Version. Uh, Hebrews chapter six, verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy, say lazy. Look at your neighbor, say lazy. Not that you're calling him lazy, but you're just saying lazy. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate, say imitate, those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We do not want you to become lazy, but imitate through faith and patience those who have inherit what is promised. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. Say the whole thing with me. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. Say it again. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. We give you all praise, glory, and honor in the name of your son Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit we pray these things, amen. There's a, there's a governmental agency called the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators. The National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators. And here's what they do. They have state offices. They have an office in every state. And let's say you overpay your credit card bill and then you close that credit card. And so there's, say, $100 that's sitting in that that credit card account that belongs to you, but you've closed the card and you moved and they sent you the check and you never got it, you never opened it. That money sits there in that account for, for, say, there's a certain amount of time, I think 18 months or something, Then it goes to the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators in your local state, and it just kind of sits in escrow until you claim it. Let's say you sold your house, or you paid off your mortgage, and you overpaid by $600, and you don't know it, and your mortgage company sent you a check for $600, and you didn't get it 18 months later they send it to your local office of the National Association of Unclaimed Property Administrators and they hold it in escrow did you know that right now one out of every seven Americans that's 43.5 million people in this country right now have unclaimed property and did you know that the average amount of unclaimed property is two thousand dollars per person And did you know that that totals $95 billion of unclaimed property right now? That while you're crying about being broke, you probably got $2,000 of unclaimed property that belongs to you that you simply have not claimed. I'm going to talk to you today about unclaimed property. It belongs to you but you're not benefiting from it, because it's unclaimed. It belongs to you, but you're not benefiting from it, because it's unclaimed. I remember when I was a poor seminary student, living on my own, and struggling to make ends meet, and I ran out of money one day, and I was so broke, I didn't have money to buy food, and I got on my knees in my apartment, and began to cry out to the Lord to send me some money. And the Lord spoke to me and said, clean your apartment. I thought he was rebuking me for being messy. But as I was cleaning my apartment, I was going through the various pairs of trousers that littered the floor of my apartment. And and before throwing them into the laundry basket, I was going in the pockets to make sure nothing was left in the pockets. And inside one of the pockets, I found a check for $300 that I had received six months earlier and forgotten all about. I actually wasn't broke. I simply had an unclaimed promise in my pocket that I had forgotten all about. Because that's what a check is. A check is a promise. But until you deposit and or cash said check, it remains an unclaimed promise. Now, Hebrews 6.12, don't be lazy but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Literally, the book of, the author of Hebrews is telling us that you have promises from God that are like undeposited checks. And you're lazy if you don't cash those checks. You got a drawer full of undeposited, uncashed checks that are promises from God and you're lazy. And so you don't benefit at all from those promises from God because you're too lazy. But he said the opposite of laziness is imitating those who inherit the promises. So when you see anyone inheriting the promises, instead of judging them, you need to imitate them. You need to look at their life and say, how are they doing that? How are they getting that? Instead of crying, God, how come they get the provision, but I don't get the provision? How come they got their breakthrough, but I didn't get my breakthrough? Instead of comparing yourself and doing like Cain and thinking God must love my brother more than me, instead of crying about it, imitate them. Follow them around a little bit and say, how are you doing this? How are you getting a hold of God in this way? How are you breaking through in this way? imitate those and if you follow them around for a little while you'll discover that they've got two things number one they got faith they got faith They believe every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line. I am standing on his word divine. Every promise in the book is mine. They believe that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. They believe that his promises are not only for 2,000 years ago, but they're for today and 2,000 years from now. They believe that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. They got faith. But they not only got faith, but they got patience. Because some folks have faith, but no patience. You got faith, but for about five minutes. There's no persistence to your faith. There's no endurance to your faith. You can believe, but only for a short amount of time, and then you spring right back to unbelief. You believe God will provide, but only for a short amount of time. Then you spring right back to unbelief. You believe that God is with you, but only for a short amount of time until somebody cuts you off on the freeway, and then you go back to being abandoned by God. You believe, you got faith, but there's no patience, and so you can't continue to believe. And that word patience is actually one of the, perhaps it's the most misunderstood biblical construct. Because we think of patience as passively waiting. Waiting. We think, here's how we think of patience. If I say to, let's say, if I say to Obi, if I tell Obi, one day I'm gonna give you $100. And then Obi goes, okay. Now what what does Obi get to do? Just sit and wait. Just sit and wait. That's how we understand patience. Just sit and wait. As if God, as if when God gave you the promises, he says, one day I'm gonna heal you. So just sit and wait. One day I'm gonna bless you. Oh, just sit and wait. One day I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Oh, just sit and wait. Just sit and wait. Passively waiting. That's how we understand patience. Patience is not passively waiting. Patience is actively working. The biblical biblical construct of patience is actively working, not passively waiting. What do I mean by actively working? Here's, here's, Here's the biblical concept of patience if you went to the store and bought a ten thousand piece puzzle and you made a decision you said i've never done a puzzle this big before in my life but i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna work on it for an hour a day and i'm not going to stop until i finish this puzzle patience is going back to that puzzle every day for one hour even if you stand there and you're confused for an entire hour and you don't even get one piece on the board, but you go away and you say, I'm coming back tomorrow. And you come back to the board and maybe you get one piece, but you say, I'm coming back tomorrow. Patience is the resolve to return to that puzzle every single day, one piece at a time until it's done. That's patience. Patience does not put a time limit on anything. Patience does not say, I'm going to work on this puzzle for three months. And then if it doesn't happen in three months, I guess it's not God's will for my life. I guess I'm just not good at puzzles. I guess I don't have the the gift of puzzles. Patience has nothing to do with your gifts. It has nothing to do with favor. It's got nothing to do with anointing. It's simply the resolve not to stop until you get what you look at the picture on the box. That's the promise. Patience is the resolve to return to the drawing board until the picture in front of you looks like the picture on the box. Well, when you read Scripture, it's a picture on the box. When you read about the life of the early church, it's a picture on the box. When you read about the outpouring of the power of God, it's a picture on the box. When you read about the gifts of the Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the healing miracles of God, it's a picture on the box. But one in every seven believers has unclaimed promises. Matter of fact, I would say seven out of every seven believers has unclaimed promises. Checks that you haven't cashed. <laughs> you know, my mother sent me a, screen, a, a, a picture The other day and I I looked at the picture and it was a check written out to me for $700 and a card from this church that I preached at in 2019 and it said thank you so much for ministering to us and then it was a check for $700 and I thought thank you Jesus I need that $700 right now but guess what I claimed that promise immediately. I had deposited that check with my phone. (laughs) Because I guarantee you, I I didn't cash that check back in 1998, but that's the last uncashed check, undeposited check. I made a decision back then. I'm not sitting on checks. I'm not going to allow a promise to go uncashed, unfulfilled in my life. That's the kind of resolve that you need as a believer. Every promise in the book is mine. I'm going to cash all them checks, every single one of them checks. I'd be willing to bet that there's not a person in this room right now that if you think hard, you're not going to remember that you've got some type of gift card or gift certificate in your house right now that you haven't used and has been there for years. You know what I'm talking about? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. It was your birthday, and five people gave you gift cards. You never use those gift cards. You got gift certificates to restaurants that you haven't used. You got gift cards to Target or something that you haven't used. That's an unclaimed promise. You got to go home and claim that promise. Come on, somebody. Now, if you remembered suddenly that you had a gift certificate for $500 to a three-star Michelin restaurant in San Francisco, if suddenly you remembered that, you would run home And you would search every nook and cranny, crook and crevice in your house until you found it. Why? Because it's too valuable to allow it to remain unclaimed. It's too valuable. But if you remembered you got a $5 gift card to Target somewhere, you ain't gonna spend five minutes looking for that $5 because it's not very valuable. We tend to treat the promises of God like their $5 gift cards to Target instead of like their $500 gift cards to Michelin star restaurants. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So, what does it look like to apply faith and patience to the promises of God? Well, first of all, what promises resonate with you? You know, there's some promises that resonate with you that don't resonate with another believer, and that's okay. For some of us, the promise, God's promise of healing, is a promise that resonates with you. You read James chapter 5. Is any among you sick? Let him pray. Let him call for the elders of the church to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Right? That's a promise. Or how about by his wounds we have been healed? That's a promise. But what do we tend to do? We tend to just sit and wait. Well, one day God will heal me. How about making a decision? I'm going to learn how to receive the promise of divine healing in my life. And not just for my body and not just for my family, but I'm going to learn how to release the power of divine healing through my life. I'm going to learn. And matter of fact, I'm going to apply that faith and patience by coming back to God every day. And I'm going to seek his face. And I'm going to pray. I pray against sicknesses. I pray against certain specific sicknesses almost on a daily basis. Why? Because I've made a decision. I've resolved. I'm going to learn how to walk in authority over these particular sickness. Why? Because this is what, this is number one, the promise that God has laid upon my heart. And so I'm going to claim that promise. And I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to claim that promise. I'm going to lay claim to that promise. There's almost nothing more powerful than a body of believers that rises up and makes the decision that we're going to lay claim to the promises of God, not just for ourselves. And that's the big problem, is that we only know how to cash gift cards to our own benefit. When we think of the promises of God, I only think of the promises to me. But what did God say to Abraham? Through you, every nation in the world will be blessed. That was God's promise to Abraham. I'll bless those who bless you. That was God's promise to Abraham. His promise to Abraham said, I'll make you a blessing. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Listen, I want to stand on the promise of God to the the point that God makes me a blessing. That God's spirit flows through my life, from my life. That the reality of who God is is manifested through me to people who don't know him. My grandmother used to say, my life is an open book. You could read it page by page. If you don't read the Bible, read my life. Why? Because she prayed every day that God would use her life to manifest the glory of Jesus, not just for her, but for the world. She said, I want everybody to see Jesus in me. If you can't read the Bible, read my life. My life is an open book. You can read it page by page. Well, there's one particular promise that's been stirring in me all week. And it's a promise that I believe God is calling the body of Christ to rise up and lay claim to again. The promise of a spirit-filled life. The promise of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So, well, I'm not a charismatic or a Pentecostal. Are you a Christian? Are you a believer in Jesus? Do you believe the Bible? I don't care about Pentecostal, Charismatic, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal, or anything else. I care about Jesus. I care about the Bible. I care about the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches this Pentecost sermon to a crowd of thousands of gatherers who really were gathering to try to figure out what in the world is happening in that upper room. And Peter preaches about Jesus, him being crucified, you took him with lawless hands, you crucified him, you nailed him to a cross, but God has raised him from the dead and made him both Lord and Christ and their salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus. This is the stone which you builders rejected. He's become the chief cornerstone. And the scripture says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Conviction. And they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we do? And Peter says, repent. This is verse, Acts two thirty-eight, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to as many are as afar off, even to as many as the Lord our God should call. The promise is generational. Meaning it's just as applicable today as it was 2000 years ago, not just for you, but for your children. Do you realize when I was 13 years old, my grandmother said, Benjamin, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit this summer. And she took me to the prayer chapel every day for an entire summer for an hour a day. And I was determined to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I was crying out to God. And I would go into that prayer chapel every day for the noon prayer meeting. It was during the summertime. And I would go in there at noon and, I'm, oh God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Oh God. And it felt like I prayed for hours. And I'd look at the clock and three minutes had passed. And I was already out of stuff to pray about. And so the rest of that prayer meeting, the other 57 minutes, I was like, oh God. Now it's, just help me to make it through this prayer meeting. I don't know how to make it to one o'clock. Please get me out of here. I'm hungry. Deliver me from this meeting. But through the summer, going back every day, the discipline of going back every day, the desire in me began to grow. And three minutes turned to six minutes. And six minutes turned to 12 minutes. And 12 minutes turned to 24 minutes. And my capacity to seek God began to increase. And by the end of the summer, It wasn't in one of the prayer meetings, but it was late at night in a room in my bedroom by myself when everyone else in the house was asleep, and the Holy Spirit came and visited me and filled me to overflowing, and there was this overflowing fullness of the Holy Spirit that filled my entire consciousness and my senses and changed my language. And I went to school and couldn't speak English for a while because I was so filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was walking around the prayer, I was walking around the playground all day at school. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you. Not religiously. But I couldn't stop because I had a river of life flowing out of me, making the lame to walk and the blind to see, opening prison doors and setting captives free. It was this, this river of living water that was flowing out of me, and I was drawn into the presence of God. But it started with the decision, I'm going to lay claim to this promise because it is for me. This promise is for me. I say to you, brothers and sisters, that the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. And God is calling the church right now to make a decision to lay claim to the promise of the the fullness of the Holy Spirit you have been promised a, a lifestyle characterized by the fullness of the Holy Spirit and we can debate theologically to are blue in the face and it will do nothing but divide us it'll do nothing for us so if tongues is a stumbling block to you then forget tongues just pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit you're not seeking a manifestation anyway you're seeking the fullness of the Spirit. And the fullness of the Spirit is a life characterized by a consciousness of the abiding presence of God. It goes beyond a theology that God is present with me always, even if I don't feel Him or see Him or sense Him. This transcends that the promise is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It fills every nook and cranny of your life that, is, that, there, that there would not be a part of your life that is not saturated in the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. But it starts with a decision. A decision. But we have relegated and delegated that life-giving flow of the Spirit to the church service, so that the only place where we expect to receive the Spirit is in church. When all I want to do here is see the Holy Spirit turn on that engine of desire in your heart and then activate that resolve. Now, here's what we were taught when we were young. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you got to clean your life up first. Here's a list of sins that you have to forsake and then once your vessel is clean the holy spirit will come in. I think that's ridiculous. You cannot clean your holy you cannot clean your vessel. The holy spirit can clean your vessel. You cannot make yourself holy and then the holy spirit comes in. You need the holy spirit to be holy. You invite him in just as you are. I don't care what's going on in your life. You invite him in just as you are. You surrender to him on a daily basis and you declare before him, I can't make myself right, only you can make me right. So I need you to come in and I claim the promise of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm laying claim to the promise of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The more of me you take, the more you leave behind. What am I? The more of you you take, the more of me you take, the more you leave behind. Have you given up? Have you simply decided that you can't solve it? Have you stopped thinking about it? Have you given up? I'm looking for some people who are persistent in their mind this morning who are going to make a decision to apply faith and patience to this riddle. The more of me you take, the more you leave behind. What am I? You're looking at a boat full of people, but yet there's not a single person on board. Why? Anybody got it yet? John. They're all, they're all married. There's not a single person on board. It's a boat full of people, but there's not a single person on board because they're all married. Look at God. Look at God. Anybody got, the, anybody got the first one? The more me you take, the more you leave behind. Did you look it up? That's good. It's footsteps. Look at that. Footsteps. The more me you take, the more you leave behind. Footsteps. How'd you figure that out? Did you look it up, Ola? You figured it out, Ola? Wow. We got a genius up here in the front row. Look at God. You know what's awesome about faith and patience? Is that it's not something you have to do alone. And matter of fact, it's better that you don't do it alone. Because I could give you, I thought about, you know what I thought about doing with today's service? I thought about just giving you a riddle that was so hard that all of you had to work together to get the answer and i thought about saying you know go around the room and talk to people and and like work together and talk together and see if you can figure it out. And maybe somebody's got a piece of the answer and somebody else has a piece of the answer. I thought about like giving you a set of math problems. I even had GP, GPT write me a set of five math problems that got progressively harder, and you needed to answer the first to get the second, and you need to answer the second to get to the third, and then just releasing you to go amongst yourself. But then I realized that's a Sonny Robinson sermon, you know. Sonny, Sonny's the one who has you know soccer balls up here and bottles of water poured out and. You know, she whipped, got a whip up here or it's a jump rope. You got to jump, you know. But faith and patience is working together. It's when I feel that my faith is waning, I need to go call somebody and say, you know, I, I made this decision. I'm going to receive this, but now my faith is waning. I'm tired. I'm tired. And I need some support and I need some encouragement. There's another verse of Scripture that says that we should spur one another on towards faith and good works. We should, and especially as we see the day approaching. The days are getting darker, and the fact that the days are getting darker means that it is the requirement that the body of Christ begin to shine even brighter. You forget about the promise that when darkness covers all the earth and deep darkness, the people, God said, my light will rise upon you and the nations will be drawn to that light. What that promise from Isaiah 61 means, or Isaiah 60 means, is that the darker it gets, the brighter it gets for the body of Christ. It means that the darker the world gets, the brighter the glory of God gets in the body of Christ. That is a promise. But what we tend to do is we look at the darkening of the world and we allow our hearts to darken with the world. We look at how, how wicked things are getting in the world. You don't realize that we need to be more spirit-filled than they are demon-possessed. That is the requirement for the body of Christ. But it simply starts with a simple decision. Every promise in the book is mine. Just as I would search every drawer in my house to find an unused gift certificate that's a value, I'm going to search every verse of Scripture for unclaimed promises. You need to have in your journal, you need to have a column that says promises to receive, commands to obey, sins to forsake. This is a very simple Bible study tool. Just write at the top of every journal, promises to receive, commands to obey, sins to forsake, and then start reading the Bible and just start filling in those fields. Here's a promise to believe, write that down. Here's a sin to forsake, Write that down. Here's a command to obey. Write that down. And then you come back and you read through your journal, and now you're standing on the promises. You're standing on the promises, and you're applying faith and patience by obeying the commands and forsaking the sins. This is how you read the Bible for growth, for spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. But it starts with the promises, not the commands and I'll prove it to you. God did not go to Egypt and say, obey these commands, and then I'll let you out. He went to Egypt and said, come out. Now obey these commands. The promise always goes before the command. Amen. You got some unclaimed property. And you're crying because you think you're broke. You're not broke. You just haven't gone through the process of laying claim to your property. You're just lazy. I don't want us to be lazy. By the way, I looked up my unclaimed property, and it's like $1,600. It's a process of claiming it got to print the documents, sign them, and then get them notarized. That's a process. But you know what? For $1,600, I'll go through that process. The average... Do you realize that some, of, some people, your unclaimed property is just a few pennies. But you know that some people have unclaimed property of more than a million dollars? Isn't that crazy? That you would just have a million dollars and you're crying about being broke. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would put a resolve in us that would not die. A resolve in us to lay claim to your promises. That's why you gave them to us. You gave us your promises because you desired that we would lay claim to them. That we would apply faith and patience to inherit them. But Father, most of us have been lazy And we don't realize that the fruit of faith is prayer. And the fruit of patience is persistent prayer. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that something would be born in us that would say, I'm not going to live without your promises. Not for another day. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I'm standing on your word divine. Every promise in the book is mine. We trust your promises today. We meditate on your promises. It is through your promises that you call us to a higher place of life. Your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, you have given us your very great and precious promises so that by them, we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. It's through your promises. Our escape is through your promises. Our empowerment is through your promises. We are standing on the promises of God. Father, I pray that you would ignite every heart this morning. Ignite every soul this morning. Awaken every soul to your promises this morning. That a resolve would be born in our hearts. I got this uncashed check, this undeposited check in my drawer, and it says the gift of the Holy Spirit on it. Lord, I'm going to cash that check. I'm going to deposit that check in my account. How? Through faith and patience. Through faith and patience. And let me say to you, my brothers and my sisters, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What that means is that you were created to be a dwelling place of God by, for His Spirit. And there's nothing that brings you more joy or satisfaction. Nothing that could possibly bring you more joy or satisfaction than the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That literally the promise of the fullness of the Holy Spirit to you is the promise of full satisfaction in God. Full and complete satisfaction in God. There's a God-shaped void on the inside of you, Pascal said. The only one who can fill it is God. Aquinas said, the heart is restless till it finds its rest in thee. Your heart will always be restless until it finds rest in God. Find rest, my soul, in God alone. Holy Spirit, I pray, stir every heart. Stir every heart. And may decisions be made today that would change our lives. That we would live lives characterized by seeing your promises fulfilled. We give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give God a shout of praise. Stand to your feet this morning. Lift your hands to the Lord. I bless you with the blessings of the Lord, the blessings of heaven and earth. May your going out and your coming in be blessed. And may you receive everything that you need. Be protected and kept by his great power. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day food in the lobby. Also, Pastor Chinwe wanted to meet with those who have registered for the retreat just quickly. So Pastor Chinway will come here in just a second. So if you can just make your way to the front, if you register for the retreat, if you haven't registered for the retreat, do so in the hallway, do so in the, at the uh, Connection Center. Somebody's there to register you right now. I know it was just an oversight because you definitely want to be at the retreat. You definitely don't want to miss it. Today is the last day to register for the retreat. So do so before midnight tonight or else, sorry.